the players will only push forward with the 2020 season if the league and owners assure them that they will take every precaution possible to keep them safe and healthy. This is the Game 7 Podcast. I'm Isaac Bergeron coming to you this morning from Bismarck, North Dakota. Follow us on Twitter at underscore Game 7. Follow us on Facebook, Game 7 Show, YouTube, Game 7 Show. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. This podcast will feature today in sports history, as always, MLB's plan to return to baseball. Yes, they're going to they, the MLB Players Association will listen to a plan um, submitted by the owners later on today. The we're going to also talk about the five-round draft and how exactly it's hurting players, how it hurts the Major League Baseball, and um, there are, I guess, a few benefits to a, a five-round draft. Um, but but to to sum it all up, it, it really does not do a lot of justice for um, Major League Baseball, the economy, or or any of the players really. Um, so let's get right on into it. Uh, today in sports history, 1875, the first recorded shutout in pro baseball. Uh, the Chicago White Sox shut out the St. Louis Browns 1-0. 1910, Philadelphia Athletics chief bender no-hits Cleveland Indians 4-0. In 1925, Yogi Berra, who goes on to be a, a baseball catcher, coach, and manager for the Yankees and the Mets, was born in St. Louis, Missouri, passed away in 2015. He would be 95 years old today. In 1956, New York Yankees owner George Steinbrenner was 25 years old when he wedded Elizabeth Joan Zieg. In 1968, Tony Hawk, American skateboarder, was born in Carlsbad, California. He turns 52 years old today. Two years after that, in 1970, Ernie Banks hit his 500th home run of his career, and two years after that, in 1972, the Milwaukee Brewers beat the Minnesota Twins 4-2 in 22 innings. That game did not actually finish until May 13th because it lasted that long throughout the evening. So, but with that all, with that all being said about today in sports history, we're going to jump right on into um, what do we know about Major League Baseball's plan to return to baseball. What we do know is that 30 team owners approved a proposal to start the 2020 Major League Baseball season uh, yesterday. They, they approved it, and they're, they're submitting it to the uh, Players Association, MOBPA, um, and they will discuss it on Tuesday, May 12th, today, um, to discuss it and, and really talk about all of their concerns, all of their um, everything from um, what they believe is right, what they believe is wrong, what they want to change, um, and that's going to be about the pay. It's going to be about, about everything you can imagine, the, the what-ifs, uh, the players, the pay, um, the number of tests. Um, they're going to talk about it all. So it's going to be really interesting to have to hear about um, what kind of comes of this and, and, um, and if we will and when we will see a return of Major League Baseball. Um, so, yeah, we know that they're going to meet on Tuesday. Any plan would also require sign-off from the medical experts experts and confidence that testing for the the virus would be sufficiently available um so here's a rough outline of of what the league would like to do um and and just like what the league has has the intentions for um in order to see a return of major league baseball first is that a regular season would begin in early july i believe they're looking at at fourth of july weekend and it's going to consist of approximately 80 games um, the number might not be exactly 80, it could be 78, and it could be 82. Those are definitely possibilities. Either way, they're looking at approximately 80 games of baseball to be played. The next is that the schedule is going to be regionalized. Um, teams would face opponents only from their own division and the same geographic division in the, the opposite league. 
Um, so, for example, the, the the Colorado Rockies, who we all know, who we are all fans of, um, would be playing um, teams only from the National League West and the National League, or the American League um, West also. Um, so a 78-game schedule would, would look something kind of like this. You get four three-game series against each division opponent and two three-game series against each non-division opponent. Um, so we're looking at the, the Houston Astros, the Texas Rangers, the Seattle Mariners, the Los Angeles Angels, um, Oakland Athletics. They all come to Colorado to play one time, um, and we go to, to their home stadium to play, um, to play against them one time. But then we're also looking at um, at at uh, two times to see the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Diego Padres, the San Francisco Giants. Um, everybody that's in the National League West will come to Colorado to play against them twice, and we will travel to them to play against them twice. And so all in all, that adds up to about 78 games. Um, and that's the most even schedule that you could possibly get in these, these weird 10-team divisions. Um Next is that teams would only open up in as many home ballparks as possible. So even with New York, the um, the major league city that was hardest hit by this coronavirus, um, you're still looking at potentially in play um, by early July. So New York City with, with Yankee Stadium and City Field would definitely be opening up um, with or without fans. Are, it's definitely going to be without fans. Um, but they're still going to open up and, and have uh, baseball in early July. Um, Toronto, another city, might also be open by then, um, although non-essential travel between the United States and Canada is restricted until at least May 21st, and all travelers to Canada are subject to a mandatory 14-day quarantine. So this is where teams like the Toronto Blue Jays and teams that um, aren't able to to open up their facilities and, and play an entire season, um, they would temporarily relocate either to spring training sites, um, or, or other major league parks um, in other parts of the country. So you're looking at a team like the, the New York Yankees would be playing their entire season in Florida, or um, the New York Yankees play their entire season in Atlanta. Um, you know, you're looking at, at teams playing in all different states um, that they normally wouldn't play in, right? So if, if that, that applies, this applies also to spring training 2.0, where um, if the league decides to use mostly home parks um, instead of returning to Florida and Arizona, there was no need to to return to Florida and Arizona. You would just have a month-long spring training where um, teams travel back and forth between their um, between their their home ballparks. There's no need to go to Florida or Arizona. Um, not, although not all clubs agree that they should train in their home parks, um, that this the spring um, spring training ballparks offer a a less densely populated and more controlled environment. So there is an argument to be made for teams to be playing in, in Arizona and Florida. Um, also, the, the amount of travel isn't as much um, for all of these players to, to have to play just one or two games. Um, although likely, if you if we do have a spring training, you're looking at multiple, um, multiple games being played over multiple days. Maybe uh, teams stay in a, in, in a state for about a week to, and play six or seven games in, in that amount of time. So... That's what you're looking at. Um, the expanded playoffs are similar to the idea first reported um, actually by the New York Post in February. Um, there's an increase from five teams to seven teams in each league that makes the playoffs. Um, so under this plan, it's the team with the best record in each league would receive a bye 
in the wild card round, and then they automatically advance to the division series, which is normal. The two other division winners and the and wild card with the best record would face the bottom three wild cards and the in a best of three uh, wild card round. Um, because games at least initially will be played without fans, the players would be be asked to accept a a further reduction in pay, most likely by agreeing to a set of percentage for um, percentage of revenues for this season only. So you're looking at um, a guy like Nolan Arenado who's set to make 32 plus million dollars. Um, he takes an initial pay cut in that salary, which could be 16 million, it could be 10 million, it could be six million. Um, that's up to him to decide, or up to him and the Rockies to decide exactly what that salary is going to be for um, for the 78, 80, or 82 games. And then you look at the revenue that that he's going to get, and he or him and and the rest of the major league players will will split up evenly. Um, likely, I imagine they would split split it up evenly. So, um, and the revenue that they're getting isn't going to be from concessions. It's not going to be from parking because there's no fans coming in. So all the revenue that they're really going to be splitting up is um, television revenue, and that's up to the players and the the general managers and the staff to decide. Exactly. How do they split that up? Does a guy like Nolan Arenado, who's making 32 million, get um, 60% of that TV revenue? And a guy like Brendan Rodgers, who's only making 512,000 for this season, does he is he a guy that makes um, 2% of that t- television revenue? Is it all proportionate, or do they all just split it up evenly? That's up to every team to decide exactly what it is um, that they're going to decide to do um, for them. So let's talk about the the what ifs of this scenario. The what ifs is that what if baseball opens up on Fourth of July weekend? That is a huge weekend, and I don't think anybody's going to be, um, nobody's going to be inside for this Fourth of July weekend. It's going to be a, a a monumental weekend in the United States if uh, Major League Baseball returns. Uh, what if the players must quarantine for weeks or several months? That is that that is a huge what if on on this contingency plan to bring baseball back to, um, to to professional baseball and to televisions because you're looking at players that have to be away from their families and um, what if players have kids what, what are the what are the big factors for this um, you're asking players to stay away from their families from a for a specified amount of time um, that is not yet known are you you don't know if you're asking the players to stay away for um, for several weeks um, or for several months if they have to quarantine and live by themselves. Um, you know, and it, what if these risks are too great? I mean, you look just look at the players, for example. Um, Rockies fans, we know David Dahl. He had his spleen, spleen removed in 2015. He's at a greater risk of an infection being deadly to him. Is that is every player with a that has a greater risk, are they going to want to play? I don't, I don't necessarily think so. David Dahl was at Double A in May 2015 when he collided with a teammate and suffered a grade four laceration of his spleen. That is one grade below the most severe. He underwent emergency surgery to stop the internal bleeding and then had to make a choice. He, he could wait for the spleen to heal and sit out for the rest of the season, or he could undergo a, a splenectomy to remove the organ and, and, and return in about six weeks or so. Um, obviously, D- David Dahl was a young player and, and wanted to resume his career um, as quick as possible. So the splenectomy, knowing his, um, it came with the the post-surgical reality of needing to adjust his lifestyle in a in a manner unlike what most of this United States population um, is ad- is adapting to. Um, 
he took that. He didn't know that that was actually that this pandemic was going to happen and what the consequences could be in 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 five years in 2020. Um, but e either way, um, he is at a a severe greater risk of an infection being deadly if he um, contracts COVID-19. The another thing is that the Major League Baseball Players Association represents only the players, but any agreement that they make with Major League Baseball on medical issues, it figures to establish guidelines for everyone in uniform. This includes um, umpires and, and managers and coaches. Um, these, guys, these people are all just as vulnerable to the virus because of their age or, or medical history that they may have. Um, there, there's just another a number of other considerations um, you know, financial and otherwise, that need to enter the discussions between players and owners. Um, I believe an expanded roster of as many as 45 to 50 players is expected, um, but the parties also need to determine if, if medical protocols, uh, for instance, how they would react if a player becomes infected with the virus. So this means that if a any player becomes infected or any member of the staff becomes infected, do they just automatically shut the season down? Or do they say okay we're gonna have we're just gonna have this one team go 14 days without playing games and they're just gonna have to quarantine themselves and, and you're gonna have to just trust it i don't think you know you can't just go off of the trust factor in this agreement you have to have something that is set in stone that says if somebody contracts this virus the season is shut down does it have to be that the season is shut down no but there has to be something that says if a player or staff member contracts this um, this is the protocol that needs, these are the steps that need to be taken following no ifs, ands, or buts. That need, that is something that needs to be absolutely set in stone. Um, something else that, that needs to be talked about is the, the pay for these players. The, the risk of exposure to the virus is one of the reasons that I think players are adamant about not accepting a, a further reduction in pay. Um, you know, they agreed in March to prorate their salaries in a shortened season, but the, the league is seeking additional concessions, um, and because the games, at least initially, are not going to be played um, with with customers, there's no tickets, there's no parking, um, there's no uh, concessions, there's not, none of that that, that um, type of revenue that the league will receive or that, that the teams will receive. Those salaries cover the regular season only. So postseason, if there is postseason games, um, those shares are based upon gate receipts. So again, it basically it's the same thing. It's all revenue. Um, if players agreed to a set percentage of revenue, they would also share any additional national television money generated during the postseason. So just like I said earlier, um, it's Nolan Arenado. If he's making $32 million and Brendan Rodgers is making $512,000, um, you know, it, it it's up to the team to decide exactly how do they split up the revenue generated during the postseason. Not saying the Rockies are going to make the postseason, but um, just teams across the, the the league have to decide exactly how are they going to split up the revenue coming from um, national television games. Without the players making money off of off of um, concessions, uh, league officials are going to try to spend more on player salaries than they would earn in revenue for every incremental regular season game played without fans. The players' union believes that the opposite is. Is true and that postseason television and other revenue will further enhance the league's financial position so these two sides are on on two totally different um, beliefs on on the revenue the the players union believes that um, that the league's financial position will will grow 
as the um, the league and the owners say that we don't think we're going to make that much money at all. There's no way that we can afford all of this um, salary. So obviously the salary issue remains a, a huge source of friction between these two sides. Um, if the owners say it's not economically feasible to play games without fans, then I, I believe the players union would almost certainly ask to see financial proof. They need to show that um, they need to show the players that listen, you guys really do not have the money to pay us if you can't. You know we don't believe you because the the players are always or the players union more specifically is out to get as much money as possible as they should. That is their job um, is to make sure their players are taken care of, make sure their players are getting paid, make sure the players are safe. Um, and so they won't believe the owners unless they see financial proof. Um, obviously, the teams do not provide the players with full access to their books um, to determine that that exact cost. Um, so the salary issue might prove to be a major stumbling block toward the league and the union re um, reaching an agreement. Next is the, um, the number of tests. Until the league shows players that everybody can be tested continuously, I don't expect the players union to agree to any sort of deal. Um, major leaguers and other professional athletes generally are in peak physical condition. We all know this. But the infections of, of Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz and others show that they're not immune from the coronavirus. Um, the, the Stanford study that was released earlier um, last weekend, um, was that the Stanford study found that there was a positive rate of 0.7% in a test of uh, 5,600 Major League Baseball employees um, for the presence of COVID-19 antibodies. Um, so this, this does not show the, the test any definitive conclusions. Um, the league said before the test was conducted that it would not use the results to determine when the league can restart play, um, but the number of players tested is not known. So out of those 5,600 MLB employees that were, were tested, we do not know exactly how many were players, how many were just um, trainers, how many were, were um, general managers, owners, um, or just ballpark employees. We do not know that exact number. We just know it was 5,600 um, employees regardless of, of what position they are in or what position they hold, or even if they're still employed with the team, we just know it's 5,600 MLB employees that were tested for the Stanford study. And 0.7% of them found it, uh, were, were found positive of um, antibodies. So there are questions that we don't have answers to. So say we do have a great antibody test and, and we know that you've carried it before. You know, I, I don't think that scientists or doctors can tell us with, with certain 100% confidence what exactly that means right now. We don't know if that means that you have immunity from this. We don't know if it means you have immunity for three months. We don't know if it means you have immunity for eight months. We don't know if it means you have immunity for the rest of your life. Um, the, the Stanford study is inconclusive as far as to, to determine the specific details about um, the coronavirus and, and exactly if you can get it again or who gets it again or why they get it again, um, it does not answer any of those questions. And so I think until those answers can be, or until those questions can be answered, um, you know, you're not looking at, at any sort of agreement to see Major League Baseball return. Um, you know, just, just to sum it up, I, 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 I don't see a deal happening today. I mean, maybe in a week, I see something really coming into plan and really saying, hey, this is our cement concrete plan. Um, I know players really do want to play 
obviously if they're not playing they're not getting paid it is as simple as that um, you know players are used to putting their life on hold for eight months anyways um, to play major league baseball where they get into a routine and you don't do anything other than play baseball for 162 days out of 180 days a year you know um it just i to to ask players to quarantine themselves away from their families potentially for several weeks several months that is not something that all players want to do and again you know you look at players that are at risk for for greater infection like like our fan favorites and david Dahl. um do they want to put themselves at risk also? Because if it's not a unanimous um, decision, then you know some players aren't going to be in. And it's as simple as that. We may not have baseball because uh, some players are scared. Um, and maybe not necessarily scared of their teammates. They know what their team is doing. Um, but they're scared of, of other people that surround them and other people that work in the, in the, in the office or other people that are around the game. Um, if they carry it if they don't know that they're carrying it there's just a lot of questions that need to be answered um and so i don't expect a a deal to be made today tomorrow um or the next day i think it's just you just got to take its time it's really going to just take time um next thing that i wanted to talk about today is the five round player draft and exactly how it hurts teams how it hurts um economically how it hurts uh, players it, it I don't think it's actually a beneficial thing I'm glad we get to see a draft of course but I I, I think I, th I think this is not necessarily the right move uh, Major League Baseball's decision to cut this year's draft of five rounds um, actually came after one offer to the Union for a longer draft um, the draft the original draft that they proposed would have been 12 rounds with with severely um, lower bonuses after round five and limited ability to sign undrafted players um, so major league baseball chose not to come back to the table with a second proposal as its agreement with the union in march allowed it to unilaterally impose a five-round draft with other restrictions so um, the union the players union did not have any say in this five-round player draft it was all major league baseball all the owners unilaterally choosing um, a five-round draft so with the current financial situation and uncertainty of, of when or if we will see Major League Baseball this year, as well as the likelihood that we'll see uh, little to no minor league baseball this this summer, um, I think some reduction in the draft made sense from a player development standpoint. It saves MLB teams some cash in the, the short term, but this decision to essentially draft and sign as few players as possible has a, a significant long-term consequence for, for players and, and teams alike, and most of these are not good, as I said. Um, first one is that potential stars are not going to get drafted. The most obvious impact that we're going to see this year is a lot of good players with, with major league potential are going to go undrafted this year. You know, you look at Paul Goldschmidt, round eight, Jacob DeGrom, round nine. They were drafted after the fifth round out of four-year colleges at the time. Um, they were not seen as good enough prospects to go in the top five rounds, even though history has shown that they were among some of the some of the best um the, the the best prospects in their draft classes um in a five-round draft you you get college juniors like like goldschmidt and um degrom and and they would have been undrafted or, or left to choose to sign as free agents for um, a relatively tiny price of twenty thousand dollars um you know you can go back to school and come back out as, as seniors or fourth round juniors 
and you can get five thousand dollars or less if you didn't improve your standing so it was, it's a gamble you know um or they can even go play independent ball and hope to boost their value, pray to boost their value, which obviously in 2020 isn't going to be an option if independent leagues can't play. Um, all these options are worse than what, what players would have gotten in a normal draft, and we now we risk losing these players um, entirely. So perhaps instead of a perennial MVP candidate, Paul Goldschmidt, we have a Paul Goldschmidt who is now selling cars. You know, we don't get these guys that... Um, are potential star players that will not get drafted in 2020. Next is that um, college baseball players are going to lose their roster spots. There's a big, big ripple effect from players who um, expected to sign going back to school or, or going to college from high school. Uh, Division one schools only have 11.7 scholarships per team on their baseball or their their baseball roster. Um, coaches are, are planning to distribute those under the assumption that these juniors will not return for their senior years and, and some of their top recruits will never reach campus because they got drafted. Um, some members of both groups will now be at school fighting for the same playing time and the same limited scholarships, which is going to squeeze players out of lineups, out of scholarships, or off of rosters entirely. Um, again, that's only 11.7 scholarships per team. These These coaches um are the closest thing that you can get to a major league baseball gm without being a major league baseball gm they have to plan four to six years in advance these scholarships and these players that are going to be playing baseball for them and have to plan like hey i'm going to give so and so um, i'm going to give little johnny a a, a five hundred thousand dollar scholarship and i'm going to give um i'm going to give little jackson a a uh, $20,000 scholarship for four years. You know, you have to plan that out four to six years ahead of time. And so now it's, it's putting everybody in a, in a tight squeeze. Um, it's going to squeeze players out of lineups, squeeze players out of scholarships, and it's going to squeeze players off of rosters, the, those, those bubble players. Um, on the bright side of this, junior colleges, I think, are really going to benefit. JUCO players are built different. This could be an absolute boom for junior college baseball. Um, at least where schools still have the resources to operate teams next spring, um, as they could welcome any top high school prospect who isn't drafted, offer them the chance to play for one year, and then re-enter the draft in 2021, or even two years, I guess, depends on if they if they want to enter the draft in 2021 or 2022. Um, obviously, playing time isn't an issue at G these JUCO teams. Um, these schools cost far less than most four-year colleges. Um, Major League Baseball team scouts would have a field day as well, since junior colleges don't have TrackMan or any other similar um, systems to track stats or, or hitting velocity or exit velocity um, in place. So these performance stats that they get from those levels include a, a wide degree of competition, especially where some of these JUCO leagues are very high-end competitive and some of these other JUCO leagues may not be near as competitive. Um, this is really going to make the next three draft classes absolutely stacked. Of course, the, the, the amounts kicking in can, can kick down the road, um, but the, the next three draft classes will collect spillover from this year, from 2020, um, while others will go to two-year schools and some JUCOs um, and draft-eligible sophomores will, will come back out in 2021 or 2022, which is good for Major League Baseball teams. They'll, they'll have stronger draft classes next year and beyond, and, and, and the potential leverage to try to negotiate discounted bonuses with all of these picks, especially beyond the top top of the first round, but it's bad for players who might be fighting for playing time in school, and then turning around and competing with a larger than expected pool as a player in the draft. Guys that you were expected to get drafted in the sixth, seventh, eighth round of this year's um, players draft will now be back in college. They have to.
um, you know, but the, the good thing is, is, is that um, the next three draft classes will be absolutely stacked for Major League Baseball teams to choose from. Um, players who have to support themselves, this is bad, may not play for long. Any chance to draft a, a, a um, or any change to the draft or, or college scholarship availability will, will disproportionately hit players from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, it's going to reduce their choices, their opportunities to play, and their potential return if and when they are drafted. It, it's great to talk about increasing diversity in, in youth baseball and to try to get more young players of color into the sport, um, but you have to back that up with real money. And, and this appears to work against those um, goals. If, if you're cutting bonuses and cutting opportunities, uh, the talent pool will consist of only players who can afford to make little to no money while they play. Uh, players who need incomes or who, who might have been able to use a six-figure signing bonus to get by while, while they played in, in the minor leagues uh, might end up just leaving the sport for other careers to go make money, um, which is completely understandable. Um, you know, and, and I mean, where are the players even going to play that get drafted this season? You know, because any players that Major League Baseball teams um, sign will have no place to play this summer or maybe even this fall. Uh, there's talk of, of an extended instructional league, but, you know, that's just speculation. Um, there's proposals of, of larger or longer Arizona fall, fall league um, systems, but um, it sounds like Arizona is, is lacking in its response to the coronavirus. Um, they rank in the bottom five in tests conducted per capita, um, and their cases are spiking, uh, even though the state is, is reopening business, um, rushing to reopening business, I should say. Uh, many players will get back on the field sooner if they decide to go um, or stay in college, whether it's it's some sort of fall ball or, or instructional league or, or private baseball. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Major League Baseball hold a January draft like it did about 40 years ago uh, for players who slipped through this year's June draft um, as a result of it only being five rounds. Um, pro ball likely won't have any opportunities for these players until March at the soonest, I believe. That is my understanding. So to sum up the draft... Um, this plan helps MLB owners more than anybody else. And it risks us, the fans, and, and me as a podcaster, from losing talented players to something other than baseball. It takes money away from some of the players who do sign, even before we consider the risk that some teams will lowball high-end picks and spend less of their total bonus pools. It, it just creates a potential um, logjam of players at four-year colleges um, and, it, and it really reduces the players' leverage in in the future drafts um, to make the most money that they can. The, the savings are marginal, and, and they matter in the short term, don't, don't get me wrong, but just until revenues return from when games resume uh, more than the long term. It's, it's a disappointing outcome given the potential options for a, a longer draft that would distribute more money to players even if the payments were deferred to next year. This is an owner-friendly um, plan, and the MLBPA had no say in it. Um, so with that being said, uh, just just to sum it up, you know, it, it, it's it, it's an MLB draft that you know, are we still going to get excited for? It? Are we still going to watch it on MLB Network? Yes, but it just takes away. You have to think of it in the back of your in the back of your mind as um, players who do sign. Um, and the players that don't get drafted, you have to keep them all in the back of your mind and exactly what are they going to do at the JUCO level or um, the collegiate baseball level and how, how exactly is this impacting not only them but their families as well. Um, so with that being said, a quick update on my life just to wrap up this podcast. 
Um, you know, we did make it to, to Bismarck, North Dakota for my summer internship with the Bismarck Larks. Um, I speak for everybody and, and Brady and Will, who's with us. Um, you know, we're excited for the opportunity. We all get to wear a little different hat than what we originally thought of, and that's totally 100% okay. We're just excited to be up here and, and gain real-world experience, um, and, and we're excited to get after it. You know, we're, we're healthy, we're safe, we're quarantining. Um, you know, we're only going out for food and uh, necessary things. Um, you know, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to send a care package or help out, you know, you could reach out to me and I'll get you the address. Um, that has happened before <laughs> where people have sent uh, me something to my house. Um, but you know, we're, we're going to be pumping out podcasts all summer long. Um, I'm really, I really want to get some other guests and some other interns on the podcast and get their um, perspective on what exactly is going on in, in the sports industry and baseball um, alike. Um, I think it's going to be sweet. You know, I really do. Uh, this is the Game 7 Podcast. I am Isaac Bugarin. You can follow us at underscore Game 7. You can follow me at Isaac underscore Bugarin. Um, you can find my work on mymanmedia.com. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And as always, I want to remind you about the dogs because if you're looking for a pet, I want to remind you to go to the shelter first.